The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome everyone here in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome. If you're in the room, if you're online, thanks for tuning in and joining us however you can. Those of you here in the room, to visitors, thank you so much for being here. We always try to make a point of telling our visitors just how valued you are, how grateful we are that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And if you want to give us a chance to get to know you, please stick around after service. Come talk with us. Give us a chance to connect with you. We've got visitor cards you can fill out in the lobby, and then there's a QR code in your Sunday sheet you could also scan for a digital version. But we're grateful you're with us this morning. And I wanted to let you know, also, if you want to catch up on any sermons from the past few weeks, months, years, uh, just to remind you, we've got a sermon podcast. You can find it by going to thesprings.cc slash messages, or you can search wherever you get podcasts, if that's your thing, The Springs Church. But you can catch up on any of our old messages going back years, really. But this morning, we're beginning a brand new series of messages called Sharing Possessions, Our Goods and the Good News. John Osborne is going to preach next Sunday, and then Ben Lankford is going to close us out the following week. But this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21, if you want to turn over in your Bibles. And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Let's pray. God, we give thanks this morning. We give thanks for your generosity. We thank you for the banquet at this table that you've so lavishly given us, this communion that we share with one another in your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the word of the Lord that changes us, that calls us to follow in the footsteps of your son, Jesus. God, I ask for the gift of preaching, and I ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to see your gospel truth and live it out in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeff Dimmick was telling me a little bit of his story this past week. If you don't know Jeff Dimmick, he is a member here at the Springs. He serves on our missions team. And he's an all-around fascinating guy because Jeff is pretty much literally a rocket scientist. So he doesn't have that excuse. Uh, 
but he is a fantastic guy, and uh, Jeff actually worked at Hughes Aircraft, as in Howard Hughes, starting way back in the 80s, even before it was bought by Boeing in 2000, and Jeff continued working there, and he was telling me a little bit about working there and uh, the retirement packages that they have. I've actually heard from other people that Boeing's a really generous company with their employees, and so generous that Jeff said that they've got a re- retirement package that if you work a certain number of years, it's, it's really wonderful. But it's so great that they call it the velvet handcuffs. Because pretty much no executives ever walk away from it. Because this, you don't want to walk away. You want to get all the way to those final years. Get all the way, get the full benefits, contributory retirement. It's so good, it's called the velvet handcuffs. And Jeff was telling me this, and I thought, that is a really interesting word for our sermon series as well, because the question I want to ask us this morning in this series is, what are we doing with our hands? What are we doing with our hands? I don't mean literally right now, I'm not talking about manual labor or knitting, but I'm talking about how do we handle our possessions as a people. Deuteronomy uses the imagery of hands to talk about possessions in Deuteronomy 15. It says, if there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. So according to Deuteronomy, there are two ways that we can handle our possessions. There's the clenched fist of idolatry, and there's the open hand of faith. Deuteronomy is very either or. It's very binary sometimes, right? It's basically, I've given you life, and I've given you death, God says. You, You can choose life, you can follow me, you can walk in my ways, listen to my commandments, life. Or you can choose death. You can choose to ignore me. You can choose to disobey. Life or death, the open hand of faith or the clenched fist of idolatry. That's what Deuteronomy holds out before us. And you might be wondering, well, why is it the clenched fist of idolatry? Why, why idolatry? Well, in the Bible, idolatry is very closely identified with greed, Right, idolatry in the Old Testament is, is often about worshiping other gods, right? It's, it's breaking covenant with Yahweh. It's turning to other graven images. It's worshiping other people's lowercase g gods, right? That's idolatry. But it's also very closely connected with possessions, with resources, with stuff. The Bible seems to think that how we use our stuff, whether or not we're generous with it, is a pretty good indicator of our faith in God. It's a pretty good barometer for where our relationship is with the covenant God of Israel, right? Paul in Colossians just says flat out, put to death therefore whatever in you is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. In other words, how we treat our stuff 
and our neighbors in need shows us whether or not we're faithfully worshiping God. And we see this in Leviticus too. The Lord spoke to Moses in Leviticus 6, when any of you sin and commit a trespass against the Lord by deceiving a neighbor in a matter of a deposit or a pledge or by robbery, or if you have defrauded a neighbor, you shall repay the principal amount and add one-fifth to it. You shall pay it to its owner when you recognize your guilt. So notice that this sin of deceiving your neighbor in economic terms is also a trespass against God, right? It, it goes multiple ways. You're sinning against God by defrauding, by deceiving your neighbor because breaking covenant with your neighbor is breaking covenant with God, right? The closed fist of idolatry towards your neighbor becomes the closed fist of idolatry to Yahweh. And as Luke Timothy Johnson says in a book called Sharing Possessions, he says, we respond to our neighbor as we respond to God. How we use possessions reveals both. So Springs Church, what are we doing with our hands? Are we choosing the clenched fist of idolatry, or are we choosing the open hand of faith? And what do those even look like? Well, let's take a look at Luke chapter 12, the parable that Jesus tells, because I think it tells us a lot about the clenched fist. Right in, in verse 15 of chapter 12, he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now, I want you to take off your Sunday morning, Bible-believing, Jesus-following lenses for just a moment, and I want you to look at this character who's called the rich fool. Now, how do you see him? Well, if I look at him through, say, just the lens of a modern, maybe successful American individual, he doesn't look that foolish to me. Right? He, he's probably one of the more relatable characters in Scripture. He, he's got an abundance of crops. He needs to put them somewhere, so he's scaling up his business. He's successful. He's wise, prudential, right? He's got a lot of disposable income. He knows how to give, have a good time, eat, drink, be merry. Who wouldn't want to be friends with this guy or hire this guy or be this guy? But God says in verse 20, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Fool. By every sane standard, this guy looks 
just simply wise, like he's responding to an abundance of possessions in a way that is prudent. But now let's read the parable again. Let's read for a second, of course, through the lens of Jesus, but I also want you to hear how much and how often he talks and thinks about himself. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I, 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 my, my, my. Right? He's, he's completely closed in on himself, clenched in on himself, right? Or Martin Luther describes sin as, as the heart being curved in on itself. Right? All he can think or speak or talk about is himself. When he addresses someone, it's actually just himself, soul. He, he's curved in on himself. And St. Augustine, in a sermon preached on this text about 50, over 1,500 years ago, has this devastating line. He says he's got these perishable goods, although he doesn't know that his soul's about to perish, and he did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. But the rich fool, what he has defines who he is, I have, therefore I am. Right? So if I have more, I am more. He's operating with the clenched fist of idolatry, and that's the path to destruction. Right? That's, that's the path that Deuteronomy talks about in chapter 8. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gained me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, idolatry, to serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Or as Jesus says later in the Gospel of Luke, those who try to make their life secure will lose it but those who lose their life will keep it. In other words, those who clench their fists will fumble. But if you truly want to keep your life, if you truly want to find life, you need the open hand of faith. Laura got us some tickets last month for my birthday and took us to a musical down at the Civic Center called Hades Town. I know some of you went to it as well. Some of you have seen it. Uh, it's a really interesting musical with some fantastic music. And it tells the, a story from Greek mythology, uh, a love story between Orpheus and Eurydice. And one of the themes kind of underlying the musical really is possessions and power and the way that our posture towards our resources, wealth or poverty can kind of warp our soul in different directions. 
And there's a song towards the end that Orpheus, the poet, the singer, sings to Hades. Hades is the king of Hades town. He's got all the power, all the resources, and it has warped his soul. And Orpheus is trying to remind him of kind of a more virtuous, romantic, youthful self. And so this is what he sings in this song. He says, and what has become of the heart of that man now that the man is king? What has become of the heart of that man now that he has everything? The more he has, the more he holds, the greater the weight of the world on his shoulders. See how he labors beneath that load, afraid to look up and afraid to let go, so he keeps his head low, he keeps his back bending. He's grown so afraid that he'll lose what he owns, but what he doesn't know is that what he's defending is already gone. The more he has, the more he holds. But what he's defending has already left. In other words, those who try to make their life secure will lose it, but those who lose their life will keep it. The clenched fist of idolatry turns out to be the most unreliable grasp. So what does the open hand of faith look like? What does the open hand of faith look like? What does it mean to live faithfully with our stuff, with our possessions, with ourselves? Well, I think we have to remember right away that it's not just about what we do with our stuff, but it's also our posture towards God in doing it. Does that make sense? It's not just what we do with our things, but it's also why and how and for what reason the way that our heart is pointed at God when we do that. What I mean is we can try to secure our lives with material possessions, but we can also use our generosity or our spirituality, our self-righteousness as a way to try and secure our lives, right? We can do it with material possessions or with spiritual possessions, right? As Paul says in his famous chapter on love in 1 Corinthians, if I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So, Material possessions and spiritual possessions can lead us into idolatry. It matters what we do, but we also have to be aware, are we doing it from a place of idolatry or are we doing it from a place of faith? Are are we doing it from a place of trust in God for our existence, our identity? Are we doing it from love? A few years back, my parents were needing to remove some bushes in front of their house. These bushes were really unkempt, way overgrown, unsightly. And so my dad asked a few guys from the church to come over, Ron, Rudy, and Larry. He asked them to come over, help out, and so they came out, and it was a big Saturday of it. It was one of those really hard, just hauling away, hustling, sweating, really putting in a good day's labor, trying to get these bushes out. You know, they're chopping branches, hauling them away. Ron brings his pickup truck and and a log chain, and they're pulling out the bushes. And they get done with this long day of, of hard work, and my dad 
says to Ron, who was kind of the, the leader of the group, he was like, you know, what's a, what's a fair wage for, for you guys? And um, Ron says, well, look, Rudy and Larry, they, they really need this. Um, so here's what you ought to give them. But then my dad tried to give Ron the same thing, and Ron pushed it back, and he said, put it in the collection plate tomorrow. Put it in the collection plate tomorrow. I don't, I don't need it. That's the open hand of faith, right? A, a hand so open that, that money just, just bounces off of it, right? Money comes in, but it's open enough that it falls right into the work of the church. It falls right into the work and ministry in the community of reaching those who are vulnerable. That's one simple picture of the open hand of faith. Which leads us back to our question, church. What are we doing with our hands? What are we doing with our hands as a church, as individuals, as families? I know there's a lot of generosity in this church. I've seen it. There's a lot. But I've been thinking, how can we continue to open our hands even further in faith to God? How can we continue to open our hands to, to shun idolatry even more? Open our hands in faith to God. You know, even just thinking from a very, very practical level. You know, I was thinking, what if, what if a connections group in this church, now if, you're, if your family's like mine, you've got access to like three, four, five different streaming services you know, we like our, our Hulu, our Disney, Netflix, Amazon. Now, we share some of those with other family members. But what if a connections group in this church had each family just get rid of one? Just, just unsubscribe f- for one for a whole year. And we pool that monthly money, and instead we support a child in need. Instead, we support an orphan, a, vulner- a vulnerable person. Right through, through Compassion International or Christian Relief Fund, we find a kid we can sponsor right with medical care, food, clean water, education. What are some other ways that we can creatively resist all the ways that our culture continually forces us, tries to tell us to clench our fists and instead open our hands in faith? Practice generosity. Practice being rich towards God. Because Paul writes in 1 Timothy, he says, as for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Jeff told me that nobody walks away from the velvet handcuffs. Nobody that is except Jeff Dimmick. Jeff worked there for 27 years, and he was about five years away from that full benefits contributory retirement. But Jeff was also 
investing in young Christians. Right? He was also mentoring young students. He was involved at Ohio Valley University and Oklahoma Christian University. He was also mentoring Blake Mullins. And Jeff met Blake, and he was mentoring and pouring into Christian higher education, and people had been kind of asking him, like, why don't you do this more? Why don't you actually just leave and come and do this? And Jeff was telling Blake in a conversation, he was like, look, I, you know, it's, I've got five years, and then I can get out of these handcuffs, right? Nobody walks away from this, and then I'll have more money to, to give and do good with. And, and Blake just said to Jeff, God doesn't need your money. God just wants you. Right? He just wants your faithfulness. Right? We, we don't need that. We just need you to continue to give your whole self, your whole life to these students. And so Jeff calls up his boss and he says, I'm out. And he decided... I'm going to start living more freely with my possessions. So 27 years, he'd lived in Los Angeles acquiring all this stuff, and he said, hey, I'm just going to move with whatever fits in my Highlander. So everybody, come on over, take what you want, it's yours. And he drives off to go continue investing in the lives of young people. He drives off to go continue investing in Christian higher education, to continue being more free with his possessions than I'm even telling you. Jeff drives off to live a life with faith's open hand. We don't have to be slaves to the clenched fist of idolatry. We can be freed from that clenched fist. We can let Jesus stretch out our hands in faith, in love, in generosity. In fact, that's precisely what Jesus does for the apostle Peter. Peter, who's trying to secure his life so much that he'll deny Jesus, while Jesus gives his life away on the cross... And then when Jesus rises again and he's restoring the apostle Peter, he says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus says, Peter, your faith is going to lead you to live with open hands. Hands so open they can be stretched out and fastened on a cross. And that's what Peter does. And in doing so, he's just following in the footsteps of Jesus who lived his entire life, his entire existence open to God's leading who lived his entire life, his possessions, his blood, his very self, open to lose it for the life of the world. And so church, Jesus calls us to unclench those fists of idolatry and to open our hands in faith like Peter, to open them so wide, not only that they can give, but that they can receive grace and true life from God open them so wide that we stretch them upward to the heavens in praising the God who gives every good gift. Open them so wide they can be fastened to the cross of self-denial, 
of losing our life in love to give it to the God who gives all good things. Let us stand with open hands praising God, the giver of good gifts, church.